Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so we're going to dive right back in. We have another listener question. Actually, this is a reader question uh, from a, a post on our website, What is Biased? Uh, and this is from Heidi. Dr. Davidson, why don't you go ahead and give it a read? Oh, sure, sure. So this is from Heidi. Hi, I'm a 48-year-old female who has struggled with PCOS my whole life. I've taken 200 milligrams of oral progesterone for several years now. I also take 45 milligrams of Armour Thyroid, and my TSH is 3.87, and my free T3 is 3.22. I've had symptoms of hair loss, dry eyes, vaginal dryness, very low sex drive, and irritability. I just had a saliva test done, which revealed very low estradiol levels and low DHEA, along with borderline low testosterone. The practitioner I have put me on sublingual drops with a dosage of 80-20 ratio of biased being, which is interesting, 0.8 milligrams of an 80-20 biased, 0.8 milligrams of testosterone, 25 milligrams of oral DHEA, and kept me on my 200 milligrams of oral progesterone. My question is, is there... A safe way, is this a safe way to administer my bias and testosterone? And do you agree with the dosing amounts? Any advice would be appreciated. Thank you for your time, Heidi. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot to dissect there. This is, uh, and I actually responded to her on the website. And uh, she, uh, I asked her a question, is her progesterone, is it prometrium or is it bioidentical progesterone? And she came back to say that it was actually 200 milligrams of prometrium. And she had asked why we don't, because uh, in my response to her, uh, I said we don't typically prescribe or don't really recommend prometrium. And she was wondering why. Uh, so Dr. Davis, why don't you say why you're, you don't prefer prometrium? Well, you know, the prometrium is still technically progesterone, but it's an instant release and you can't, it only comes in a couple of forms, 100 milligrams and 200 milligrams. Hence, she's on the 200 milligrams. You can't really move that around. And when you're working with hormones, especially bioidentical hormones, even though we're all humans, we're all still so incredibly unique that it's not one size fits all. So that's where with progesterone, I like to do a sustained release so it stays in your system a little longer. It definitely, the sustained release helps with women staying asleep. So she's a 48-year-old female. She's you know, maybe had struggled with PCOS. She's definitely in some kind of perimenopause phase right now. So she's probably having trouble sleeping, even though it doesn't have that on her symptom list. But the sustained release helps stay in the system. It helps stay you, helps you stay asleep. And then you can, because I feel like 200 may be a little high for her because Heidi had also, because there's a, a lot to this, but we're going to break it all down for you. But Heidi had also responded to Dr. Mackey saying that she's still cycling, meaning that she's still getting her period, meaning that she still has a uterus. So 
with that permetrium being that high, it might be kind of throwing her cycles off a little bit too. Yeah, maybe either too frequent or too long or, you know, kind of increasing, uh, you know, it can do, uh, we talked about on uh, the last podcast uh, and previous ones as well, that progesterone can, especially at 200 milligrams of permetrium, which we tend to find, maybe because of the instant release, we tend to find that it's a little stronger. Women have a harder time tolerating it than, than the bioidentical oral progesterone. So just to kind of back up a little bit, so um, Heidi is cycling, so that means she's getting a period every, you know, with PCOS, it could be every 28 days or it could be every 288 days. PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, can throw the periods off. But she does say she's cycling, and she did a saliva test, which tested her hormones, and that her estradiol was very low and her DHA was low and her testosterone was borderline low. Now, the DHEA and the testosterone throughout, a let's say, a aside from Heidi, on a perfect 28-day cycle on a cycling female, DHA and testosterone pretty much stay the same the whole 28 days. Around ovulation, that testosterone comes up and that DHA, but pretty much whatever day you test those hormones, the DHA and the testosterone in that 28-day cycle are going to be relatively pretty consistent, where the estrogen changes. When you're on your period, day one to five, you basically have no estradiol, no estrogen in your system, no progesterone either, because that's what causes the lining of the uterus to slough off, hence a period. And then that estrogen comes up, estrogen spikes on day 12 in a perfect 28-day cycle, and then comes down slowly until the next period. Progesterone really doesn't come up in levels in the bloodstream until you hit ovulation. So typically, you're going to see levels of progesterone at a good level between day 14 and day 28. So that's where, you know, her very low level of estradiol it really depends on when she had her her saliva test done, if she did it, because there's a couple of different saliva tests. You can do an instant saliva test where I test, you know, one my saliva, you know, all day long, you know, a, a morning a morning saliva um, sample, a, you know, a noon, an afternoon, an evening time, and then just send it in. Or there's some saliva tests that you can do that are 28 days that you can follow the pattern of someone's cycle. It looks like on hers that she just did an, just a one-time saliva test, like a one-day test. So it just really depends on where she is in her cycle to really determine if she has low levels of estradiol. Yeah, right. With the history of PCOS too, it's a little strange or a little bit um, interesting that her DHA and testosterone are both low on the saliva test. Uh, and I said back in my comment that I would you know, be interested to see what the, not so much the estradiol level, because we could assume at 48 that her estradiol level is probably tapering off um, just anyways, even though the fact that she's still cycling, it's going to be high enough because she's still cycling. So there, she's still meeting that estrogen threshold. But the fact that her DHA and testosterone are both low uh, on the saliva test, I'd want to see a blood test just to confirm or double check to see if that's actually you know, true, because giving her 25 milligrams of, you know, oral DHEA with a little bit of testosterone, um, if she's got a history of PCOS, I don't really think those two things are really necessary for her. Exactly. So just to back up, she says, you know, Heidi's been struggling with PCOS her whole life. That's polycystic ovarian syndrome. And we have um, some blog posts. We actually have some podcasts on PCOS if you want to learn a little bit more about it. But one of the hallmarks of PCOS, it's a huge spectrum of, you know, hormones going this way and that way. But one of the main hallmarks is having higher levels of DHEA and testosterone. So if Heidi's struggling with PCOS, just like Dr. Mackey said, is why would her DHEA and testosterone be low or borderline low. So it makes you think maybe she doesn't need that because just on a side note is 
you know, DHEA is available over the counter. It's a dietary supplement. You can go down to GNC, you can go to Whole Foods, and you can buy DHEA. So one thing that I find with females is 25 milligrams of oral DHEA is a lot of DHEA, but you're only going to find 25 milligrams pretty much over the counter. There's five and 10 milligrams, sometimes 50 milligram, 15 milligrams. Those are a little bit harder to find just, you know, running down to Target or running over to Whole Foods to buy it. But I will tell you, 25 milligrams of oral DHEA is high. Yeah, especially for a woman that has a history of PCOS and one of her symptoms is hair loss. All right. So that's another reason, even besides the PCOS, giving her testosterone and DHEA um, could be compounding the fact that she's losing hair. And we don't really know what her stress level is. Stress level is going to exacerbate that hair loss as well. Uh, so uh, like you, you um, we both, uh, for women, most of the time prescribe usually 5 to 10 milligrams of DHEA. 25 is, you know, is getting up there. And almost every woman that you, know, you give 25 milligrams to, they're going to have symptoms. Either their skin's going to break out, they're going to start growing hair on their chin, around their uh, areola, or on the abdomen, or they're going to start having hair loss issues almost invariably. Uh, it happens more often than it doesn't. So, but now, um, you know, for Heidi's question, she is doing sublingual drops. That means she's putting it under her tongue. She's not taking an oral capsule of estrogen and testosterone combined together. So you, with estrogen and testosterone on a female, you never really truly want to take an oral version. There's a few exceptions with an estrogen with a bias, taking it orally as a capsule, but Truly, you don't want to do too, you know, you really don't want to do oral forms of estrogen and oral forms of testosterone. Um, one, because it's very difficult to absorb it digestively anyway. And two, because it's very hard on the liver because the liver has to process that. So definitely doing it in a way that you, by ta- you know, bypass the digestion is the best way to absorb estrogen and testosterone bioidentically. So doing a sublingual, sublingual is one way. I do find that the sublinguals, especially the drops, and really the trochies, because you can put these little trochies in, you have to let them sit there for like 15 minutes to dissolve. They taste pretty awful. A lot of people get a little um, hurried with that and end up just swallowing it. So then it becomes, you know, a sublingual turning into an oral. So you have to be careful with that. Or we do a transdermal cream. Yeah, yeah. We prefer to do for both the estrogen and the testosterone. But again, the other question that I have too is if she's still cycling, then what is she taking estrogen for? Now, granted, the dose is less than a milligram, you know, 0.8 milligrams. That's fine. Um, But if she's still cycling, she's not really a candidate. You know, maybe she's having, she doesn't uh, say in her um, question about having any hot flashes of any sort. Uh, So if she's not, then that's a really tough position for a woman. If she's if she's still cycling but having lots of hot flashes, uh, you know, then they're kind of a candidate because that means their estrogen level is going down. Uh, but, um, you know, the, two things. The, D, the, the DHA testosterone because of the PCOS, uh, the oral testosterone and the estrogen, the est- estrogen's not really necessary because she's still cycling. Uh, and, of course, the permetrium, we're not a fan of that. So, in some ways, if she came to see you and I, we would kind of we would kind of scrap all of it. We would just kind of, you know, start over from scratch. I would definitely kind of, you know, there's too many variables going on in here, especially with Heidi's question, is I would, and I, and I do consider when you're working with a female's hormones is the DHEA and the testosterone are like the frosting. You never start with that first. You got to make the cake first, and then you add the little details on top. So I would definitely keep some of these variables, because I always, 
I love math, which is why I love the numbers on this, is you think of things like an equation. If you have all these different variables in Heidi's equation, you won't know what the reaction is coming from. So if you keep the variables very tight, then you know what positive or negative reaction she's getting from it. So just like Dr. Mackey said, is I would take out the biased, I would take out the testosterone, I would take out the DHEA. For now, that'll be like the frosting on our cake. Um, probably re go back to that progesterone, take into account what was the PCOS, you know, what, you know, what was um, the issues with the PCOS she had had her whole life? Was she missing periods? Was she having high androgens? Was she having weight gain? You know, what, you know, what is the issue with the, was she having a lot of cysts? Hence the PCOS diagnosis. And then one thing that we really probably would come back to at the very beginning is looking at that thyroid dose. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and that's one of the things I responded back to her too, that the, the TSH of 3.87, uh, now her free T3 is decent at 3.22, um, but that TSH, uh, she might and 45 uh, milligrams of armor, she might as well not even be taking it. Um, we would probably, we more than likely we would switch it to a compounded thyroid, but if we kept her on armor or some kind of NDT, uh, natural desiccated thyroid, NDT is, uh, you know, there's a few different kinds. There's, ar there's armor, there's uh, Westroid, there's Natrothroid, there's MP thyroid. Those are all kind of collectively the same type of thing. We probably triple that dose, if not quadruple that dose. Uh, so she's on three quarters of a grain. A grain is 60 milligrams. Okay. So she's on three quarters of a grain. I would probably, uh, if she came to see me, I'd probably increase her to two grains with a TSH of 3.87. Now we don't necessarily pay attention to the T TSH as a standalone test. But when she's on medication and she, you have a TSH of 3.87, her dose needs to go up. Okay. That number should be closer to one. Uh, the reference range that I gave her that we like to go by for the TSH is let's say 0.7 to 1.3. Uh, you know, so it's either slightly below one or slightly above one, you know, it's almost at four and she's actually on medication. Exactly. And I know that Dr. Mackey just said a whole bunch of things about her thyroid just now. So just to break it down, the TSH is the thyroid stimulating hormone. And there's a huge reference range on LabCorp Quest, any lab you go to, there's a huge reference range. It's like 0.45 to four and a half for a TSH. So you look at Heidi's and she's at 3.87. Her doctor might say, hey, your TSH is in normal range. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. But she doesn't feel fine. Because honestly, her symptoms, hair loss, dry eyes, um, irritability, low sex drive, she's probably having fatigue, is could be coming from her thyroid, and thyroid is upstream from the female reproductive system. So instead of chasing your tail trying to treat these female hormones, go upstream, you know, treat the thyroid first, and then go downstream and treat the remaining hormones that need to be balanced. So just like Dr. Mackey said, a a TSH at 3.87, we do believe is too high. And the way the TSH works, it works in a negative feedback loop. So if a TSH, thyroid stimulating hormone, which comes from the brain, is elevated, that means the thyroid function is low. Hence, if you see a TSH at like, you know, 0.02, because it's very, very low, that means someone's thyroid function is possibly too high. Just like Dr. Mackey said, is I never rely on a dose of thyroid based on a TSH level. But just to kind of give you a little background, seeing her TSH level at 3.87 being technically what we would consider high, that means her thyroid function is low. Yeah, right. So there's uh, what that means is there's basically a lot of room for uh, for improvement to you know kind of modify and tweak her dose. You don't want to you know when it comes to thyroid, you don't want to do too much too quickly. Um, but I would definitely give her kind of a you know a quick uh, you know a, a fairly uh, initial increase. 
uh, and then probably retest in somewhere between a month to two months, see how she feels, and really try to get that TSH down, like I said, you know, down closer to one. The free T3, ironically enough, though, the free T3 is actually pretty decent at 3.22. What we like to see is a low normal TSH, so again, something around one, and a high normal free T3. Her her free T3 isn't bad, but her TSH is high normal, and those things need to go in opposite directions. So like Dr. Mackey said, and of course I love the numbers, she's on 0.75 or three-fourths grain of armor thyroid, which is 45 milligrams. The thing with armor thyroid is it's a desiccated thyroid. It's natural. It's from um, porcine or a pig's thyroid. It does have the T4 and the T3 component into it. So that's what differentiates it from Synthroid or Levothyroxine, which is just a T4 only medication. But a armor thyroid or any kind of porcine thyroid has a basically a four to one ratio of T4 to T3 in it. So at basically 45 milligrams, which is 0.75 grains, that equals 28.5 micrograms of T4 with 6.75 micrograms of T3 in that 45 milligrams. So that sounds all all and good, but just like Dr. Mackey was saying, is her free T3 really isn't too bad. 3.2, I'd love to see it at 3.8, but that's not you know, it's not too bad. It's not down there at 2.2 or 1.7 where I see them all the time. We don't know what her free T4 is. So let's say we did raise up her armor thyroid from 45 milligrams to 120 milligrams. Let's say we raise it up. The unfortunate thing with porcine thyroid, now again, I love porcine thyroid, but the unfortunate thing is when you raise it up, when you raise up the dose, you're raising up the T4 and the T3 and you can't, you can't balance that. Because I have some people, they absorb their T4 so great, but it doesn't convert to T3. So I have to add T3 into their mix. So that would be one thing I would be concerned about is, hey, what's her free T4 level? And, you know, as we're raising it up, if her free T3 goes up too high, then you have a little disportion, um, disportionate ratio between the T4 and the T3, if that makes sense. Yeah, right. Yeah. So uh, we, we know that NDT is popular. We do use it all the time. And in this case, what would be really simple for, and we're not giving any medical advice, so disclaimer there, uh, you know, this is just for educational purposes so everybody can learn and understand uh, how we, you know, not necessarily how we do it, but, you know, uh, uh, just a different perspective. Uh, a, a very simple thing for Heidi to do would be for her to just add a second pill, right? So she goes from 45 to 90, uh, and then in another amount of time, she could add a third pill uh, a, a in the morning, and then she, you know, collectively has tripled her dose in the in the matter of a few weeks to a couple of months uh, based on how she feels, and then we do lab testing on the back end of that. Uh, so, you know, she'll know, the patient always knows when they're under-medicated or over-medicated, okay? They, the patient always knows, at least when they're over-medicated, they know before the doctor does, and they know in a lot of cases, they know even regardless of what the lab tests show, okay? She, if, you're, if, you, if you're taking medication, you're titrating a dose up like that, you start getting anxious, you start getting jittery, you start getting, you know, all the symptoms of hyperthyroid, then you know that whatever you're taking and, and as long as those symptoms are kind of prolonged, meaning they're happening on a, you know, on a daily basis, then you know the thyroid dose is too high uh, and then you have to go back down a little bit. Uh, you know, now granted, that's a, you know, a very, you know, kind of on the fly kind of way to, to, uh, to achieve a thyroid dose, but, you know, it's something that we do quite often and the patient knows when they start to feel better. They actually have the subjective 
feelings say, you know what, my energy's better, my mood's better, my cycle's better, uh, my digestion's better, all those things. Because, you know, as we, as we know, the thyroid controls literally everything in your body. And when the thyroid's functioning properly, then everything else will function, you know, at least a little bit better as well. Exactly. I know a, a lot of doctors are a little hesitant to do that with thyroid. Like, hey, let's raise it up. Let's increase it up. Because, you know, they're afraid of putting their patient into quote unquote hyperthyroid. But, you know, all of our patients and all of you listeners, you know, you're very well educated. You know what you're doing. You know how you feel. And just like with our patients, if they ever felt hyperthyroid, they can get a hold of us in an instant. You know, they don't, you know, we're not on, you know, they can get a hold of our assistant. They can get a hold of us. It can be, you know, 10 o'clock on a Thursday. So that if we needed to readjust that dose, we can do that very quickly. I think sometimes, you know, it's a little harder for docs when there's, you know, maybe they have don't have the right staff or they're super busy and they're, you know, I hear from patients all the time. They'll say, you know, my other doctor, I couldn't get a hold of them for three weeks and I was bleeding or I was, you know, I was having these symptoms and that might be, you know, something more about their system. But I definitely, you know, we're not hesitant, but we definitely work very, very closely with our patients in terms of raising up their thyroid. Yeah. Uh, and because we focus so much on those types of things, the things that we prioritize are bleeding. Uh, you know, if a woman's on hormones and she's bleeding, which is normal, it happens all the time. Uh, it's, uh, if a woman has her uterus, bleeding is kind of, you know, when you're taking hormone therapy is kind of par for the course, but we want to know about it, right? So we want to give specific instructions if that does happen. And then of course, any, any type of, Thi potential thyroid-related symptoms, uh, heart palpitations, the anxious, the jittery, uh, insomnia. Uh, now, when we do a compounded thyroid, this would she would be definitely a candidate. What we typically like to do is compounded sustained-release thyroid. Uh, that does those types of symptoms don't happen very often. It's our job as the practitioners to get the dosing right, uh, and usually we're pretty good about that. So we keep them out of that uh, the hyperthyroid symptoms. But again, as we titrate over the period of a couple of weeks to a couple of months, uh, you know, their subjective, you know, response does improve. Uh, and they will, you know, they tell us that they say, yeah, you know what, I feel better. I have, maybe they don't feel stimulated, like they just drink a big cup of coffee and they're like buzzing around, but they have a nice level of sustained energy uh, and they do subjectively, they do feel kind of better overall. Exactly. So, you know, hopefully we're not beating a dead horse here, but we would definitely first, you know, scale back kind of, you know, reduce down some of the variables in Heidi's equation, then look at the thyroid, readjust the thyroid, try to readjust that T4 and that T3 and get that TSH down to basically low normal. And then we kind of go into those hormones. I would probably still keep her on some form of progesterone because if she's had some type of PCOS her entire life, progesterone is amazing for PCOS. So we would definitely probably just keep her with that maybe readjust the dose, do it as a sustained release. Um, you know, with compound, you can do any, any milligram you could possibly want. I would say, you know, being a 48 year old female, I mean, I'm going to be 47 pretty soon. So I know what it's like to be in your late forties and we you take with your progesterone today. <laughs> I don't take it in the morning. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course you take it at night. Of course I'm teasing you. <laughs> But know that, you know, we've also worked with a lot of women, you know, of all ages, perimenopause, menopause, um, PMS, PCOS. So I, you know, if she's having the vaginal dryness, you know, we want to, you know, we, and then, and the low sex drive, we want to address that, that the low sex drive can sometimes be about energy. Cause sometimes when a female's tired, the last thing you want to do is go have sex cause you're tired. So the thyroid might help a little bit with that, but the vaginal dryness is probably truly hormonal. So then instead of giving her, you know, as a, sublingual biased, um, where that's just going, 
where the sublingual goes more into the bloodstream rather than, you know, acutely focusing on the vaginal tissues, we might actually do more of an estriol or an E3 vaginal application to help with that vaginal dryness. Yeah, and either, that works so easy. Yeah, right. Either a cream or a suppository uh, works very well. Yeah, uh, safe and fast. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so again, we would, we would kind of scrap pretty much the entire thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, so just to kind of rehash that, okay, so we would do uh, we would increase her nature's for, or excuse me, excuse me, her armor, uh, or switch it to a, or a compound. switch it. Uh, mm-hmm. But but she already has the the nature's uh, the armor. So the easiest thing would be to start with that and to increase. If she was open to switching, then that's that's great. Uh, get rid of the bias and the uh, the testosterone sublingual. Get rid of the twenty five milligrams of DHA. Switch from two hundred milligrams or permetrium to probably a hundred milligrams of a bioidentical oral progesterone, sustained release progesterone. Or uh, maybe even 125 or 150. Yeah, right. Uh, Because 200 milligrams of prometrium compared to 200 milligrams of, that's actually a good point, 200 milligrams of oral bioidentical progesterone is not the same thing. Uh, I'm surprised that she can even tolerate the 200 milligrams of prometrium. That's a a dose that most women really can't. They can barely handle the 100, let alone the 200. Uh, And her irritability, so the DHA, the prometrium, and the testosterone. Uh, Now, granted, the irritability part is something that we see all the time. Uh, you know, that, uh, that could be based on those three things. It could kind of exacerbate some of that irritability. You know, she's mad at her husband all the time. <laughs> it, well, maybe he deserves it. No, <laughs> just kidding. But no, ex- exactly. And, and excuse me, <clears throat> maybe you could explain a little bit about that. Um, the having high levels of progesterone or prometrium taking such a high dose, what kind of symptoms, like why she wouldn't tolerate it? Yeah, right. So, uh, so what we hear most often is that's where the, and she doesn't claim of any of that. So maybe she's not having, uh, uh, you know, having any of those symptoms. It says she's been on it for years. So she's obviously tolerating it fine. Um, but usually right away they can't sleep. They're uh, anxious. They're jittery. They're bloated. And they're uh, depressed. Yeah, having it, high levels of progesterone can make you really lethargic. Yeah. Lethargic and kind of um, very melancholy, very, you know, kind of go to a little bit of a dark place. Uh, and we do see that quite often with the permutrium, which is why we're just not really fans of it. We just and I seen see weight gain that, you know, women don't want to gain weight. We work really hard not to, but definitely with a higher, higher doses, bloating and weight gain. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, so, uh, I hope that is helpful for Heidi, for uh, everyone else. There's a lot going on there. Uh, and to be honest, um, you know, I think there's some decent things, but, um, you know, we would kind of scrap the way that we approach it. We would scrap all of it and start over from scratch. Uh, and this is where less is more in this case, right? Kind of simplifying a couple things, uh, very specifically targeting a, a couple of key areas. Uh, the only thing that we would probably not address right off the bat, like you said, is the libido. Uh, I would imagine there's probably a stress level uh, component to that. So as her, as she sleeps better, as the other things kind of take effect, then gradually her sex drive should probably just come back on its own, um, which you should see. Because if you're really stressed, let's say your job is really stressful, your family's stressful, you're exercising a lot, you got all this stress all the time, you're not sleeping, your libido is going to disappear, right? So if some of that stuff calms down and you're getting a good night's rest uh, and you're not over-exercising, then the libido will come back naturally uh, and it won't be, uh, it won't, it won't be so, um, uh, you know, so low on a regular basis. Exactly. And you, and you do have to admit, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that her practitioner wants to do oral, uh, I'm sorry, wants to do bioidentical hormones. You know, we meet so many doctors that are like, 
think hormones are horrible or they group them all into, um, you know, Premarin and Prometri or what is that pro the other one they used to use all the Prem time. Pro. Prem pro. Yeah. You know, th- that's all that old school stuff. So it is really nice that there is a practitioner out there that is open to doing bioidentical hormones and the fact the sublingual, you know, cause sometimes we see doctors do oral estrogen and oral testosterone and, you know, we get worried about that. So at least they're trying to do it by bypassing the digestion working on, you know, and they're not afraid of the progesterone, which is great. Hey, hey, and and also doing armor thyroid. So many doctors only want to do Synthroid or they look at you cross-eyed when you want to do something else. So definitely this practitioner, you know, is open to all that. It's just, you know, like I said, it's very individualized. We're all so unique. What might work for one person might not work for Heidi. Yeah, so hopefully we didn't talk too fast. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you're you're writing notes down or, you know, because this one we did talk a lot of numbers and it's kind of hard to keep track of. Um, but uh, hopefully this gives some insight. And uh, uh, we plan on doing more of these. These uh, kind of questions are, they're relatively easy for us to talk about. Uh, now we've just been, you know, uh, going on for almost a half an hour. Uh, you know, it's easy for us to explain uh, that that way, the person that sends us the question or the ones that we actually read, uh, they, they get a very specific answer, um, but now everyone else gets to benefit from that answer at the same time, which is why we decided to do these in the first place. So one, it makes it easy for a preparation um, perspective on our part. We don't have to we don't have to prepare a lot because these are the situations we deal with all the time. Uh, and now that that answer can be shared with hopefully, you know, hopefully, uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, depending on our downloads. Let's so, do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Dr. Davidson, I think we uh, beat this one. Uh, you know, we, <laughs> you know, we, we did, we answered this one in every which way we could. Uh, do you have anything else to add? No, no. Thank you, Heidi, for all your information and for your question and for, and for reading and listening. And to all your listeners, thank you so much. All right. Until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at progressyourhealth.com.